Hey everybody, this is your host Sean King with My Youth on Record. Today we're speaking with drummer, teacher, visual artist Rachel Blumberg. Hope you enjoy the interview as much as we did. And I've had people over the years since I have had more success in my career ask me like, what, what can I do to make it? And I'm like, first of all, don't use those words. Keep your head down, do your work, love your work, and keep that goal in the corner of your eye. But if you look at it straight forward, you're doing the wrong thing. It's about the process. It's about making the work and doing the work. It's not about the end goal. I really believe that. Welcome to My Youth on Record, a podcast where musicians share the music they created as teens and the stories behind their songs. My name is Mona, and I'm super excited to be joining Sean King as your co-host for another season of My Youth on Record. Rachel Bloomberg is a powerhouse artist, filmmaker, and musician. You may know her as the drummer for the hit indie rock band, The Decemberists. Rachel Skyped in to share with us everything from her accidental rebellion after hearing the band The Clash and exploring multiple genre identities to performing on The David Letterman Show. Let's listen in to hear more. Well, let's just jump in. Rachel, yeah. thank you so much for being here. I, yeah, you're welcome. Um, this is actually the first remote podcast we're doing. We like to take things way back. We'd like to talk about this, like the stories of, of like people getting involved in music and stuff. So, yeah. Uh, I, I know a lot about your family, but I'm sure listeners don't. It's kind of amazing. Can you tell us about the, the musicality or just your family in general? Sure. So, um, yes, in the Blumberg household, um, my parents were both classical musicians and came from a long lineage of people involved in music in other ways. But um, specifically in my household, my dad was a trumpet player. My mother was a cellist. And they actually uh, met in Chicago, Illinois, and got married, auditioned for a bunch of symphonies, and decided we're only going to go where we both get in. They got in, in Portland, Oregon. They moved to Portland. Several years later, I was born. <laughs> and so there was always music in my house. I was, I was almost born on stage during a symphony concert. I don't know what piece they were playing, and I actually would love to know, but Apparently, my mother was keeping track of contractions on her music, and my father was in the trumpet section looking over, like, nervously trying to play the music. And, uh, yeah, so there was always music in the house. I grew up hearing my dad practice trumpet in his studio below me while I was falling asleep, and you probably know some of the pieces, Sean, that he was playing well you told me that one time on tour i was i was doing a warm i was doing a warm-up and it was yes. like you're like oh, now i'm getting sleepy or something because <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was the same just it brought back that childhood memory of falling asleep hearing and play and my dad taught some lessons in the house and he would practice my mom taught tons of private students in our house um and she was also always playing and having chamber music groups so i they my first actual music instruction was started when I was five and there was like a household rule that we had to play piano. My sister and I both had to start playing piano when we were five. So I started doing that early on. Uh, that's a pretty good household rule. I think it is a good household rule. We had to play piano and choose one other instrument. Yeah. So I guess my whole early childhood, I mean, I have lots of memories of 
like sitting and coloring next to my mom while she's like practicing opera, like, you know, like the whole orchestra's on stage and I'm like kind of curled up by her feet coloring or those sorts of things. It's cool to think about. It is cool to think about. And you know, you know, a lot of the people when we played with the Portland Symphony, you you like told me to go look for a bunch of people like the, the old guard that had been there for years and years that you knew for your whole life. I think that's amazing. Yeah, it's changing now. I haven't actually I would love to go next time I'm in Portland. I'd love to go see a concert and see who's still there. But I had season tickets starting when I was, I think, maybe age seven. I, I can't remember. But through much of my elementary and middle school years, every Sunday night during the con- symphony season, I was at the concerts, which was mostly fun and sometimes exhausting. Is this why you rebelled and became a, like a punk rock drummer? I think, yeah, it's funny. Um, so, I, yeah, I did orchestra all through high school even. And, and after high school, I would get hired to play in some, you know, small ensembles or, orchestral-wise. But so I wasn't allowed to listen to any rock and roll in my house. I wasn't allowed access to popular music until I was 13. When I turned 13, my parents let me have a radio in my room. So I heard some things sort of in the air or at friends' houses. And I knew some things like Michael Jackson, like Kiss. This is in the, uh, this would be in the late 70s, sort of that era of things. ABBA. Um, but then I got a radio when I turned 13. And then I heard The Clash. And then I was like, what is this? And then went off in that direction. So I guess it, it wasn't a specific rebellion, but it was an accidental rebellion. Was that making your parents stressed out that you were that you were diverging from the classical world? No, not when I was younger, not at all. They were actually very supportive. And I, I, I in high school, I was really started getting really into going to shows. I go to lots of shows, um, and that's when I was like, you know, discovering like like that whole underground. This is like the late 80s now so I was going to tons of shows and they never stopped me or said anything negative when I got a little older and I was starting to make a career of music I think they were a little concerned um and I remember the moment when they were no longer concerned which was when I was playing with M Ward on David Letterman and then it was like okay this is an actual thing we're not concerned I, I have I have some similar stories like that. So you've you know a lot of you know a lot of musicians who, and I think you probably know a lot of like their histories and stuff. Do you feel like it was fortunate, fortuitous to be in Portland in the eighties? Yes. I mean that was a whole music thing percolating. You know, there's like a wave of music in the eighties in Portland and then again in the nineties and we could list off a lot of bands. Like in the late eighties we had Pond and Dead Moon and I, I used to see Nirvana all the time. You know, they'd come down from Seattle and play like Satyricon. But yeah, that time and that period in Portland was really very rich and a lot of people making things. And were you were you already starting to show it like in when you'd show up to high school? Uh were you did you have patches, t shirts, like Yeah. I know I did. I'm just curious if you yeah. were already going that direction. Yeah, totally. So my first year of high school, I think I was, you know how you are when you're 14 and you, you're trying so many different things. It's like this week I'm new wave, this week I'm goth, this week I'm punk. So you're like trying on all these different outfits, listening to different music. And I have this um, 
And I just found it in my dad's basement, this army jacket that has like all these bands written on it. Pretty great. But then definitely by the end of my sophomore year in high school, there was a radio show in Portland on a community radio station. And it was called, What Does Your Brother Know? And it was hosted by this wonderful person named David Benedetti, who just unfortunately passed away last year. Um, and Rebecca Gates. So it was the two of them. And those guys played all this music and it was just like, made my mind melt and my, you know, just was such a big opening for me. So that music and then all the music that was happening in Portland. So yes, and then I started writing. Yeah, I had patches, I had t-shirts. I wrote, you know, my Converse. I had band names all over my Converse and all over my, the back of my jackets and that kind of thing for sure. I, I don't want to ask too much, but like if you ever would put together like an old Portland playlist, I would, uh-huh. I would totally spin that. So there was a thing called the X-Ray Cafe, which I wish it would have been around when I was in high school. It sort of developed a little bit later. In fact, I think it started when I was in college and I was in Eugene and I wasn't coming up that much in Eugene, Oregon. So, but it was an all ages music venue and it was awesome. And it was such a place of youth empowerment and youth. I mean, it was just a place for all the weirdos to hang out. It was awesome. So great. And when I moved back to Portland, I played a lot of shows there. And, um, there is a documentary about X-Ray that has a lot of those bands from that time. And but I would love to put together a list. That would be really fun because it's really fun to walk through that, those, all those memories. And I did have a band. I was trying to think about this because you had asked me, what's your earliest band? It was Bob Fonick and the Electric Cheese Whiz, which was actually <laughs> my first band that I started when I was like 19. And our first show was at Satyricon opening for Dead Moon. So that was like, that's pretty cool. So how did Rachel take the leap from having a passion for the DIY lifestyle to being in the industry spotlight? And how has being a woman impacted that journey? Let's find out more. So yeah, take us from like seeing shows to being in shows. So my first band was Bob Fonick and we practiced at my parents' house and my dad supplied us with microphones. We practiced in my parents' basement and we played like some high school parties, but we were also friends with that whole sort of Portland scene in the eighties. We were good. There was like a band called the Dharma Bums and Slack, all these bands. It's funny now, I think at the time they seemed so much older. And I realized they were just like two years older than me, but they were, you know, seemed much older. So there was Bob Fonick <laughs> and then, um, and we played a bunch of shows and then I moved to Eugene to go to school and I was really serious about my academics and really into school. And so I actually quit mu- playing music for two years, didn't touch drums at all until actually a very dear friend of mine, Matthew Cause, is who's in the band Not A Surf. We've been friends since I was a teenager, he said, you know, you can play in a band and also be studious. And I said, oh, really? Great. So then I started playing again. So in college, I was in a couple of bands, but none of these bands were, you know, we didn't tour. We were local bands. Um, I was in a band called Three Pigs and I was in a band called Otto. Wow. Um, Three Pigs was very influenced by the Minutemen. Otto was more sort of influenced by the grungy thing. I think that was happening at that time. And then I, I was in a band called Bunny Summer that was more influenced by the whole indie pop thing, like Small Factory and Honey Bunch and all the twee bands. I think you're taking the cake for the guest with the guest who has been in the most bands. 
<laughs> it's very possible. Of all of these bands you're talking about, um, Bunny Summer, like, were you the only female in in Bob Phonic, for example? Yes, in all those bands, yes. In every one of those? In every one of those. Yep. And can you talk about that? What's that been like? Okay, so at that time, for me, I didn't even think about it. I honestly didn't think about it. And what's funny is I was friends with, okay, do you, so do you know a band called Bratmobile? I don't. Do you know the whole Riot Girl thing? Yeah. Okay. So Molly and Allison had this band called Bratmobile, and they lived in Eugene, and we were friends, and they started this a zine called Girl Germs, which they became like sort of some of the primary movers of that scene. They moved to Olympia. And so I was around a little bit of that, but first I just really like I was in these bands and honestly, I didn't, I didn't think about my gender at all. I didn't think about it in relationship to music or these people I was playing with. And I never felt like they thought about it with me either. I want to think that that is just because we were all sort of in the middle. Do you know what I mean? Like now we have terms like gender fluid. My step kiddo identifies as gender fluid. I think it's awesome to have these terms for that sort of thing. But yeah, I never, I never felt anything negative about my gender being in those roles later on. Yes. But not at that time. Yeah. I mean, we're definitely, we're definitely in a new age. I think like Mona, you've been, you've been in bands with all, have you been the only female in the bands you've been in? Pretty much. That's my story. Yeah. That's yeah. And do you feel like, do you ever think about it or no? Um, I don't really have a preference. I've just been really grateful that the musicians that have played with me have been like amazing. Um, and as long as they knew that I requested their respect and there've definitely been times where I played with certain young men that didn't have a lot of respect for me in terms of like being a woman in a musical creative collaborative space and I stopped hanging out with those people I stopped making music with those people <laughs> yeah yeah I think um at that time back in those days I feel really lucky to have not even thought about it do you know what I mean like it wasn't a weight on me we were just people making music yeah but now I feel like I had other experiences and and actually now I am full of rage and I'm so um, conscientious these days of microaggressions in the music scene. So conscientious of it in a way that I hadn't been, which is a bummer and also great. And having these, I have these kinds, so I'm in a band now, the band I played with last night, the Hunters and Holder Hands is almost all women, except for one dude. And we talk about it a lot. You were already kind of talking about these things. Like, I mean, when I met you, you had already, you had already done the tour with Bright Eyes and that, that, that was not a male-dominated band, if I remember. It was not. It was there were a lot of women on that tour, which was cool. And you know, there are there are a couple of folks in that crew that they just were stuck in some old ways. Yeah. I found myself, you know, trying to educate them. But for the most part, on that tour, I mean, there were two of us drumming. Janet Weiss and I were double drumming, so it's like you know. I always joked to Connor, I'm like, you know, you've got two old Jewish ladies as their rhythm section. Funny. That's great. I, I wanted to go back to that real quick. Like, why dr- why drums for you? Oh, that's a good question. So my dad was my band teacher. So I started playing drums when I was 10. 
Um, but I didn't get a drum set until much later, but I was in band and I was already tap dancing at that time and had been tap dancing for maybe five years and really like rhythm. And my dad brought home like a trumpet mouthpiece and a clarinet mouthpiece and all this stuff. And I showed, I think I just showed like literally no promise on any of these things, just made horrible noises as one does, but he could tell, but I, I always had rhythm. And so it was, yeah, it was his idea, actually. He saw, I guess, talent in me and encouraged me to go that way. And I think that's another reason why for a long time when I was younger, I didn't think about my gender because it was my dad who had started and encouraged me, which is really cool. And 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 also, like, in band, I was always, like, first chair. I was, you know, and sometimes I was the only um, non-male person in the band section, but I never felt that disrespect. Did you always sing as well? Um, yeah, yeah. Actually, I started singing in high school because of REM, because of Mike Mills and his beautiful um, harmonies. That was my inspiration to start singing. Do you know? Can you think of a specific song? Uh, Driver Eight, off of Fables of the Reconstruction. Oh yeah, yeah. Were there any bands um, in your high school, college years that you thought were definitely going to make it that didn't break out? That's such an interesting question. Or bands that you were connected to that like did break out like unexpectedly? I, I think that for a long time, I didn't think about music in that way. Music was just like something that we just did in our basements and our garages and our living rooms and for a long time even through my 20s you know I was playing in bands and touring but I didn't really think about it in that in the in that framed in that way but I did have friends playing music that got to be well known well I was friends with the Dharma bums in high school and they became pretty well known in the, that indie scene of the time um pond uh, well, I was friends with the Elliot Smith. That's a little bit later. Now I'm jumping to my 20s. But Heat Miser, my old band, Sissy Face, would play with those guys. Um, I remember actually when Elliot was nominated for a Grammy. Wait, I'm now getting confused. Was it a Grammy or an Oscar? I think it was an Oscar. It was an Oscar. Because a whole bunch of us gathered together in a music club and watched him on TV. And it was a big deal for the Portland music scene to have that happen. It's such a hard performance to watch, too, now. He's so uncomfortable. Uh, yeah, I know. His suit. Oh, yeah. It's it's hard to watch. Yeah. I have one more uh, follow-up. Do you feel like that was the general consensus mentality for the group of people that you were making music with, that it wasn't, like, about um, making it? Yes, and... I think that was the general consensus for all of us making music and art in Portland at that time. Like we were not, we did not care about that at all. Interesting. Yeah. We were not interested in, we didn't think about success in those terms at all. We were like, we loved touring. We loved playing shows, but you know, it was sort of coming more from like a DIY, like uh, we're going to change the culture of the world, but we're not interested in like, you know fame and success that kind of stuff 
it's an interesting thing to hear about because I feel like the mentality of like making it as an artist is super prevalent within young people right now. And not every student is like that or every uh-huh. young person that I've experienced, yeah. but it's definitely there. There's a presence. And so to hear that there were uh, scenes that weren't focused on that is actually I'm like excited to keep thinking about that and like how to integrate that into like some more of the young people that I'm working with. I think that's great. So that's where I come from. I come from that world of that place. And I've had people over the years since I have had more success in my career ask me like, what, what can I do to make it? And I'm like, first of all, don't use those words. Keep your head down, do your work, love your work and keep that goal in the corner of your eye. But if you look at it straight forward, you're doing the wrong thing. It's about the process. It's about making the work and doing the work. It's not about the end goal. I really believe that. Yeah, I'm coming to, um, I'm 23, about to be 24, and like definitely started off in that place of like wanting to make it that being the goal. Uh And now coming into like, no, like I just want to be artistic. And so like, I feel super aligned with like what you just said. That's cool. I feel like a lot of the people that I know who have made it, there's a very small percentage of those folks who actually thought about that. Everybody else was just, you. that's what you love and that's what you do. And then you happenstance, there's a lot of luck. And, and, and in the music scene, that whole idea of making it, it sort of put, pits everybody against each other instead of creating this community where you're really like feeding and fostering something amazing. And we need that badly right now. So... I think that community fostering is really important. Rachel kept her DIY mindset throughout her path. She believes it's important to pass on musical and industry knowledge to uplift others. And she shared with us the lessons she would teach her 16-year-old self. Let's listen in. It sounds like you're doing a lot of really exciting things. And what do you think 16-year-old you would be (laughs) thinking about what you're doing right now in your life and in creative work? That is a great question. That is a great question. So what would would I think? I think I would be really proud of myself. Well, this is a silly small thing. It's not silly. You know, now I'm friends with some of the people I listened to during that time. I mean, that's kind of, you know, there's definitely moments of like pinch me moments where I'm like, you know, and everybody's just a person, but when somebody is an influence on you and inspiring to you, that makes them a little bit bigger than normal life. So that's, that thing is really cool. Having creative um, relationships with some of those people. And I think I'd be pretty proud of myself. I think that I would have no idea that I would be sitting in Rhode Island (laughs) um, and making the music I'm making. And, and also I teach a lot. And I think at that time my parents were teachers and I was like, I'm not going to teach. And I love teaching. I think it's amazing. So um, yeah, I think I would, I think I would be mind blown actually. You know, I've heard jazzers say that it's like really important to, for the um, established players to look to the younger players and, and teach them and mentor them. There's not really like a tradition of that in rock, but do you feel like that might be passed on to your students? Yeah, absolutely. I hope so. I think that's important, actually. 
I like the whole idea of um, apprenticeships, you know, like the old idea that you would learn to cobble shoes with a cobbler. So in that same way, it sort of all fits, right? It's like passing on traditions. And the thing is, we all have knowledge. Why not share that with somebody who's just learning? The whole idea that you would like keep your knowledge secret is so strange to me. It's like, no, it's like pass it on. So I hope that, I think that, but actually I know that that's happening because two of my students are now teaching, which is so awesome. And they're also at the beginning of their music career, but they're both like so talented. I'm super excited to see where they go with that. Love it. Hey, Rachel, um, what about, what advice would you give to the 16-year-old Rachel as far as like getting into this? What, 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 if you could give any advice to your younger self, what would it be? I think that I would tell myself to not be afraid to use my voice. And by that, I mean trusting my instincts in making of things. I would also tell my 16-year-old self to practice more because, you know, it's sometimes when you're good at something, you just can, you just do it. But to really take the time to dig in and to make a disciplined practice is incredibly rewarding. And I really didn't find that out until I was older. And I actually have two teenage students right now who are so good at practicing and I just see their growth and it's inspiring. So I would say spend more time practicing and don't be afraid to trust your instinct and use your voice. You're the first guest who has said that. No one is really, no really. One, no one is really I mean, in, in such a specific way, I mean, I yeah. think, you know, when we were talking to Sage, he was, he was talking about just writing all the time, but yeah. to specifically say practice, I think that's, it's good to hear. It's important. And it can be like, when I tell my students to practice, I say, I also say, I mean, play because it is play, you know, I think it's important to also not take it so seriously, but there's a real joy in playing. And I think it's important to find a way to make it so that it is enjoyable so that it doesn't feel like you're doing it for somebody else. You're doing it for yourself. And so, and so the, the process of doing it isn't like painful. Like, you know, like I was just taking piano lessons hated practicing. My parents would say, practice your piano. I'd be like, no, I don't want to, you know, but I wish there's somebody would have just said, you know, practice can just be doing the thing, you know, but it's so easy to get distracted by doing other things. Yeah. More so now. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah. Way more. So we have a million screens staring us in the face. It's true. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I'm, it's it's just cool to hear you talk about all this stuff and you know you've got you've got such a cool take on music and creativity and thanks I think it's super inspiring what what's a good thing to know as uh, a young female going on your first tour Oh great question um okay first of all when you're playing in clubs if the sound person gives you any crap do not take it last night actually that happened to me still at 50 years old and playing music for how long I asked him to turn up my monitor, like the whole mix. And he started telling me that I needed to play my cymbals more quietly. And I was, Oh my God, <laughs> I, I went off on him and in a nice way, but not in a nice way, but directly. 
I think it's really important. I said, that's not the question I asked you and, and blah, 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 blah. But it's really important to just be really direct with people who give you any grief. And it's important actually to think about that ahead of time so that in the moment, it's so easy to be caught up and caught off guard by a person treating you as other or disrespecting you. It's so easy in that moment to just freeze and not know what to say. And I think it's really important that we use our voices more and get prepared. It's terrible that we have to spend the time even th doing that. That's a waste of time, but it's not a waste of time because, you know, sometimes you'll have somebody who doesn't, they just don't know. So you just are educating them. And then you have people who are just not awesome. <laughs> also bring a water bottle and drink a lot of water. Don't buy plastic water bottles. <laughs> also uh, make sure you get good sleep. It's really important. Try to eat healthy. Be really nice to your bandmates. Have good communication and really have a lot of fun playing music because that's the most important thing. I've I've learned something recently, and I think it's it's funny. You and I have both gone through all kinds of iterations of giant tours, small tours, one-offs, and everything. Uh, I was thinking recently that it's good to keep in mind that a tour is finite. <laughs> there's a there's a last show, and you're gonna you're gonna go home, and these things that seem so huge or someone someone on the bus who's bothering you so much. It's good to just stop and be like, is this really going to matter in eight days when I'm home? Yeah, that's a really good point. I've had some great tours with some really just amazing people. That tour when Norfolk and Western toured with you guys with Dvachka, that was such a fun tour. We got lucky. Yeah, we got really lucky. So fun. Just like meeting people. Like that's the best part about touring is like you meet all these amazing people so inspiring and energizing and then sometimes you're on tour with somebody who's a big dark cloud and it's really hard because it's like you know they're obviously not in their best place and it's really hard to deal with but that's a good message that it will end and it's important to not take stuff too seriously it's easy to sometimes but if you just focus on the music do the work oh another thing i'm on my soapbox now when the band, when you're loading in and loading out, you're not done till everybody else is done. Like it's teamwork, right? So it's like everybody loads stuff in. I'm lucky to have been in bands where everybody helps each other. But I think it's really, you know, it's like you're all a unit. It's not like individuals, you know, you're together, you're a band. Yeah, definitely. I think that's a, uh, an important thing for young people to recognize that like it's more than just playing the music, like being in the music scene and in music culture is also about like your skills interacting with people and like how you handle communicating and working and collaborating with other people. Yeah. And to, like show up and be a team player and to um, know that like your attitude could affect a space positively or negatively. I think that's right on, totally right on. Yeah, it's totally true. Like I have one student right now, Lucy. Oh my gosh, she's so incredible. And she's such a nice person. And I tell her that's 50% of it is just being easy and good to work with and creating a space for everybody to feel, you know, tour can be really hard. It's like nonstop and creating a space where everybody feels good is, is really important. That's great. I think that this this might be a good place to leave it. It's a it's a it's a good place to leave it. But I do think um, we need to thank you tremendously because it's this has been a long time in the making. Thank you so much for having me. This has been really a, a wonderful conversation.
My Youth on Record is proudly brought to you by Youth on Record, a Colorado nonprofit organization where local teens are empowered to find their voice and value by working with local musicians as their educators. Teens and Youth on Record's programs are working to be both the next generation of creatives as well as community leaders. They do this through music, poetry, and storytelling. My Youth on Record is one of their newest programs. Learn more at www.youthonrecord.org. A big shout out to Oso Motley for our theme music this season. They came to the studio in Denver, jammed with some of the Youth on Record students, and we couldn't be happier. Thanks so much.